Hey y'all, this is Jonathan Martin welcoming you back for another edition of the Zeitcast. It is always such a treat to be able to introduce you to the people who inspire me and influence me most. One of those folks certainly is the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III, pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, one of my favorite churches in America. Uh, it's such a joy to welcome him back to the Zeitcast. I know for many of you, he does not need an introduction, but if you are unaware, uh, he has been named one of the top 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world. He's written a number of books, including his most recent one, Blue Note Preaching in a Post-Soul World, Finding Hope in an Age of Despair, and we're just thrilled to have him back. I do want to say a quick word, as always, to our patrons. I am so thankful and humbled that, especially in a time like this, that you continue to make it possible for me to be able to be part of your life in some small way. So thank you for being so generous. If you would like to support us on Patreon, every bit helps. You can find the Zeitcast on Patreon or from the link on my website at jonathanmartinwords.com. And anything you do is so deeply appreciated. It's also just uh, huge to us whenever you like, share, review. Any of that helps us tremendously. So thank you guys for your support, and I do hope you enjoy today's edition of the Zeitcast. Well, welcome back to the Zeitcast. So um, even though this won't run for a few days, it's a it's a really good good Friday for me because I'm getting to talk to my favorite preacher, Otis Moss the Third, pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago. And here's here's what I want to say about him this time today. In addition to being my favorite preacher, he's also truly one of the coolest individuals I've ever met. I mean, there might be cooler people. I don't know them. I've not met them. And my, this, this is what I want to specifically oh, say today, Pastor Otis, is that um, I, I was thinking about this and I specifically thought of a line uh, from a, a David Mamet film called Heist with Gene Hackman. Oh, great movie, man! Is that movie, <laughs> David. Great movie. I, this, I, this is this is what seriously. This is what I think of when I think of you. I think of that great line in the film when Ricky Jay, uh, may he rest in peace, says about Gene Hackman's character, who's his friend. My mother effer is so cool. When he goes to sleep, sheep count him. <laughs> That's a great line too from the movie. That's too funny, man. You're Isn't too that kind, a great line? It is a great line. Mammoth can Mammoth can really write. He really can. I got some Mammoth sitting like behind me, man. That that guy can really put a sentence together and just draw on so many things just with what he says. You don't even need to see action, you just need to hear what Mammoth's saying. Yes. Yes, such a genius to be sure. But that's that's my that's my introduction today. I was like, I want to use that line to introduce. Man, I've never been told that. I am I am deeply honored, Jonathan. That's very kind. And to everybody listening to, um, Jonathan has a lot of hyperbole. He's a preacher. I really appreciate him, man. Um, I'm gonna hire him for a PR. He's a kind brother. Um, but I, I'm 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 honored and I'm also humbled that you would you would even place me in that kind of category with all the people that you know. Oh, it's so great to have you. And and uh, 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 preacher hyperbole or not, I, it's like it's I, it's very sincere. I could be your PR person. I would be a good hype man, whatever. So just just if you ever need me for that, just keep me in mind. I will definitely do that, man. <laughs> so okay, so so. The other thing is I thought would be fun in terms of waiting in, 
you know, I always talk about how um, Trinity in particular uh, is, it's one of the things I love about it is that while it's so, there's this rich tradition, but I also tell people it's like the most futuristic church that I know. And in fact, uh, Otis Moss III and Trinity United Church of Christ are so futuristic that it's Good Friday and Jesus has already got up out of the grave. <laughs> Easter came. You got our, three days early. Easter came oh, yeah. and went for us. We are we are done. I will be on uh, Sunday morning. I will be in my PJs watching service. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. So how how do you feel like you're navigating right now? Just all the 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 weird time uh, uh, the, with the pandemic personally with the church like how are you feeling about all of it I know that you have not been so much like sitting around playing Jenga I mean this is like <laughs> a, 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 a good idea cool though I'm glad you came in I gotta go find our Jenga I gotta play with my uh, my daughter and my son I think we need to have a Jenga contest after this I, thank that you thank fun. you I love Jenga it's a great game. <laughs> But yes, yeah, so have you been? Have you been? How how are you and your family navigating? Are you guys doing okay? We're we're doing well, actually. You know, being sequestered has been great uh, for for the family. Uh, my wife jokes says, "I see you more now during the quarantine uh, than all these other times when you're ripping and running outside of the door." Uh, but it has been interesting, and and I say interesting because on the church side, I feel like. I have transformed into a producer mm. because we do so much recording, editing, uh, framing, storyboarding. I've really got to develop my storyboarding skills even more because we have a great media team and they have really taken hold of the pre-recorded worship services, Bible studies. Um, we've been doing this Facebook live piece, but they have been editing uh, even that, so that it just really sings when when we're when we're we're doing these things on Facebook, and they keep adding, you know, every day adding. Matter of fact, we have Good Friday service tonight with seven churches, but all of us recorded on Tuesday. Mm. So um, we all gave the seven last words on Tuesday, and it's going to be uh, broadcast tonight and on live stream tonight at six o'clock. So it's just been it's a weird rhythm. It's a new rhythm. It's a very weird rhythm because you miss connecting with people physically. And the blues of this moment, I mean, I mm. think Calvary just keeps jumping on, on my heart because I, I read, I think it was 28 funeral notices when I recorded. Ooh. And all of these funeral notices, not everyone was a member but they were related to a member of our church. And everyone said, if I'm reading the notices, arrangements pending, arrangements pending. It's just, I'm reading 20 something arrangements pending. And it just about broke my heart as I'm reading all of these families that don't know when they will have final closure on their loved ones. Mm. And COVID-19 has not only affected us physically, but it's affected us emotionally and spiritually because certain rituals we cannot participate in anymore. I really can't believe tw 28 names to even be connected to the one community in some way is, is just staggering. 
Yeah, it was, it, it blew me away. And, and what we usually do is we have a village mentality. So if your cousin passes, you're going to get a, you're going to get a notice from us, a deacon, you know, visit. Well, if they're, if it's in the city, there's somebody will come by to read the resolution. If it's out of the city, we'll send a resolution. Um, if you're in part of our community, you know, immediate family, you're, you're always going to have someone from Trinity that's going to show up. There's a touch point that you're part of the village. Mm-hmm. And just reading these names this week just really got to me. Yeah. And I just feel like it just it was a little bit overwhelming because we're in the middle of pandemic, yes, but we're in the middle of this huge disparity in Chicago and nationally where many of the people who are contracting the disease or dying from the disease are literally in our zip code. Wow. And so it's we're preparing for uh, the apex of this and a food crisis that is about to hit our neighborhood in about three weeks. Food pantries have closed. Um, the volunteers, 80% of volunteers in food pantries and for the Chicago Food Depository and other programs are 75 plus. So they can't go out. Well, So their volunteer pool was devastated. And they've got a, many of the food pantries, including us. I mean, we, we're a distributor of food. And we, we have to figure out a new way of even distributing the food because you can't have people come in and hang out and, you know, you eat a little, you can't have the fellowship that you design around the food distribution that we've normally have. And so we're partnering with literally with, with the city and the County, uh, that they're going to distribute food from our church and we're organizing volunteers, but we have to have completely different protocols. We can't communicate and interact in the same way. And it's incredibly frustrating. It's, it's it's really frustrating. Well, that's so heavy. I mean, I've just all of it, and then to think that even people who are who have passed, just a funeral arrangements pending. I mean, that's so yeah. hard. I mean, the idea that you can't even have closure in a moment like this. No, it's a uh, it's a sermon in there somewhere. You know, arrangements pending. I've been been it's been running around in my mind. Um, you know, arrangements pending. But uh, I don't want to make this a a heavy downer conversation. <laughs> but you asked what I mean. That's what's going on. And so, yeah. you know, having this conversation with you is is a burden lifter. So I thank you uh, for for having uh, me on the show uh, today because it is a real blessing to have a conversation with you, Jonathan. Well, same here. And that you know, that's actually that's sort of my sideways agenda right now. Is like. Um, with things like this, it's like I, it gives me an excuse to have a conversation with the people who most encourage me, like the voices that I'd most want to hear from right now. And uh, I feel like, you know, you are that, that kind of voice, both pastorally and as a friend. So it's certainly good for my, you know, for my own soul, knowing, knowing it is such a heavy time and um, so heavy in the world, heavy for your community um, one of the things I did want to ask you about, because I feel like, you know, uh, what I, I always love talking with you about films and music and pop culture. You know, all the uh, like, for example, the last uh, 
when I was in Chicago a few months ago, all the like the jazz albums you recommended, like the, the balance, like I play that, I play that all the time, like when I'm working or whatever. <laughs> um, any any recommendation for yours? I like oh, do some. I, I know right now again, probably not a lot of downtime, but I would love to ask the question: Where are you finding joy in this moment right now? Or are are, are there places where you're able to find joy? Oh. Whether is in friendship, relationship, uh, anything like a book you're retreating into, like where, wh- what's giving you life right now? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things. One, of course, the, the comedy of my family is always, that's <laughs> it's always a great place to retreat. But yeah. I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a big lover of music and poetry and movies. And so I am, you know, really gigging and you introduce me to the people of the common hymnal. So we had several of the musicians from the Common Hymnal show up to our church, and I just fell in love with the musicians. And there's a sister by the name of Brittany who sang and uh, joined in with our musicians and killed everything at the church. I mean, she she was she's really gifted. And so I I then downloaded the the Common Hymnal. I'd heard about it. Malcolm sent me these links, and so I. Myself and Monica, we have been just straight gigging to the common hymnal. The the song New Name, dealing with the idea of the adoption, and the song Rose Petals, dealing with the idea of Black Lives. I mean, just, I mean, a song about the Me Too movement, a song about uh, alcoholism, all of it connected spiritually. I was, I'm just loving the, the thought process. And then on another, on another note, there is a hip hop artist that if your listeners want to listen to this guy, he is from Houston uh, by way of Nigeria. His family's from Nigeria. He grew up in Houston. Toby Nwigwe. Okay. If you listen to his Houston tribute melody that was on NPR Tiny Desk Concerts, hmm. the mixture of spirituality, his walk with Christ, being on the street, his love of Nigerian culture, his very Houston-centric way of framing and phrasing things will bless you. This young man is gifted and does not, for those who are um, uh, profanity sensitive, there is, there, there is no profanity in this whatsoever. I mean, you can play it for your grandmother. She may not understand what he's saying, but you can play it for your grandmother. And he is one gifted poet. I mean, just, and, and I wish more people would listen to him. He is incredibly insightful and incisive uh, in the way his phrasing is going to, it just, every time I listen to it, I've been promoting this guy every, every chance I get. I said, you got to hear this, this guy. He is really a gift. Toby Nwigwe, uh Houston, Nigerian uh, poet, hip hop artist. And if you get a chance, check him out on NPR Tiny Desk Concerts on YouTube. I get. T- I tell you, you're gonna you're gonna call me back. You're gonna call me back and say this this guy is the truth. You really wow. you really are. Okay, I'm going. St- I'm going to check that out as as soon as we're done because you've never steered me wrong with a musical recommendation. But he, he sounds phenomenal. Houston, That's Houston Medley, Toby. I'm telling you, I'm telling anybody's listening. Check out Toby. This guy has a real gift. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, how about, um, and of course, I was so thrilled that you connected with the Common Hymnal crew. Like all those folks are so dear to me. You mentioned Brittany Spencer is one of my best friends. And it is so cool the way like they're weaving together 
yeah, I mean, you to have a song like "God Is Not Abusive," um, touching powerful. on or uh, Britney's. I love Britney's song uh, "Whiskey Lows." Whiskey I mean, like, Lows is killer, and here she is from Baltimore. She's got this "Be More" vibe, doing this kind of country and folk with a little bit of funk and gospel in there. I love it. <laughs> I oh, love it. She's a genius. She's, you know, we were, uh, I'll never forget this. Uh, when, when soon after she wrote that song, we were at this event together uh, that a band called United Pursuit puts on that's also connected mm-hmm. with Malcolm and all of them. So a number of them were, were performing and we had a campfire late that night, probably maybe about 200 people or so around a big campfire and Brittany was um, a little bit nervous about playing the song because I think she felt like, you know, it was more kind of a worship thing. And she was concerned about how it was going to go over. Well, the thing was, we were actually at it's it was at the old Johnny Cash family farm in Bonacqua. So like oh, that was, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> you're at the Johnny Cash. You cannot come on this song called Whiskey Lows. I mean, it's like it's like you've written a Johnny Cash song. It's more Absolutely. like Cash. You can't not play this on, on, on the Cash Farm. <laughs> and Johnny Cash. Now, come on. I mean, he also is one of the great artists who's able to weave that existential pain with these unique. <laughs> unique spiritual aspects because I, I absolutely love Johnny Cash Folsom Prison. I mean that I think that's one of the greatest albums ever. Oh for sure. That's absolutely killer. I mean it is it is absolutely killer. So great. Yeah it is like and I remember like one of the um one of the cash compilations years ago they uh they called it Love God Murder. Those are the three uh, kind, of, kind of headlines, and I thought that really is perfect because you've got about, right. You, you got, got everything the, there. The catalog will fit in one of these categories, and it's just so awesome. All that kind of integration, you know. So yes, indeed, yes, indeed. Now, what? How about because I I do love it. Even starting off with the David Mamet uh, reference, how about like film and TV? Is there or is there anything right now that's that's caught your attention that you're uh. that you're really into? I'm trying to think if there's something that we, we well, there's something that I watched recently. Um, my son and I uh, and my daughter, we took a look at, oh, my, and my wife, she came and watched it a little bit later, was this movie called Waves. Mm. Um, it was a small film uh, that did not, kind of got stuck in between a few releases. And it's about uh, an African-American family in Florida. But the the story is really about grace and it's and it's grace much more in the flannery o'connor sense it's that bruised difficult painful grace and i don't want to give away it's really two films it's one half of a film uh follows uh the sun the second half is really about uh the the daughter um and speaks about uh, her challenges that she faces as uh, as a young lady, and it's it was powerful. Um, and what they've done in the film is the soundtrack of the film is really a part of the script. So my 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 son and my daughter hit me to that. I said, you know, you need to listen to why they're playing Kendrick Lamar right here. Hmm. This is a part of what is he's going 
what he's going through at this moment. Um, and so they really enjoyed it because they're like, this is a powerful movie. Uh, and how do you find forgiveness? How do you, and it is painful. It's a very, so I, I warn anybody who watches it, it's a painful movie. So just be very wary. Uh, this is not the movie you sit down with all of your children if they're young. You know, mine college and uh, I've got an uh, 11th grader. And uh, but I mean, we, we talked about that film for a couple of days about what is grace? What does grace really mean? And, and that movie really forced us to to raise that question. Uh, the other one was Self Made um, that was on Netflix, which was about Madam C.J. Walker. Yeah, yeah. And it had some good performances, uh, raises some really great questions about a person that many people don't know about in, in history. Is a, and it's more of a miniseries. And, and they do a pretty good job uh, with, with that. It's also produced by LeBron James. And I'm a huge LeBron James fan. So anything that LeBron puts his, his hand on usually has some degree of positivity to it. Yes. And I've not, I've not seen either one of those. So I will check those out for sure. Waves and self-made. Of course, even referencing LeBron, I love talking basketball with you too. I know right now all we could do is speculate. You know, I'm thinking even when you're describing um, Waves and the conversations you've had about grace since, I've been thinking, I have thought so much just in <clears throat> weeks about the Flannery O'Connor short story revelation where you've, of course you've got um, the the old lady in the waiting room who gets hit upside the head with a book fr- thrown by a character named Mary Grace and how mm-hmm. that kind of like that's in some ways that sort of feels just relevant somehow to the whole moment we're in because it's like mm-hmm. with so many things on pause it feels like all these all these things are being illuminated, and and of course, not minimizing any of the pain, or loss, or tragedy, but feel like <laughs> somewhere in the midst of that, there's some severe grace happening too, like that kind of hits you upside the head, and where you're confronted to see things that you wouldn't have otherwise seen, because for all the things that are so that are so difficult, it does feel like this is a time where again, just a lot of things are being illuminated, and we're kind of people are being forced to see things and to confront things they wouldn't otherwise ha- have to confront or see. Yeah. I really think it is a season of revealing. Uh, the idea of revealing versus discovery that uh, God reveals, and we're in a revealing moment as, as a nation uh, where we are witnessing people now struggle uh, with uh, the structures in America uh, that they've never had to struggle with before, that there's so much inadequacy and inept um, leadership in, in our nation uh, that, that we, we truly are struggling with. So I think that this is a season where God is revealing to God's people that we have to vaccinate ourselves from the spiritual virus of lack of empathy, of predatory self-interest. The spiritual virus of 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 privilege and and race and gender, um, all of these viruses that uh, create not only inequality but have a they, they really they really infect the heart. Yeah. So we have heart issues 
as a nation. Mm-hmm. And whatever COVID-19 uh, does, if we don't deal with the spiritual virus, it doesn't make a difference if we change policy. Yeah. Because we will still have the heart condition that forces us to have a proclivity toward predatory self-interest, even if we have certain policies in place. So it has to be both and an internal uh, spiritual revival and an external moral crusade. They, they, they both have to go together uh, where we have to reset our moral compass and have enough moral courage to say that the way we are living and the structure of our society, God is not pleased. And we do not want our children's children to look back and say, there lived a people mm-hmm. who bowed their head to the idolatry of privilege and wealth instead of looking up to the hills and raising the question, where does my help come from? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's so that's so good. And I mean, it just feels um, it does feel that that just does feel right. These things are things are being revealed and it feels like, you know, that there's an opportunity in that. Again, not that God's somehow causing all of it, but that the invitation of the spirit in the time is that we get to reflect on these realities that are all, that are ever present, but that a lot of people in our culture just haven't had to reflect on. And now they do because it's such a, it's such a great equalizer. I was just, um, I was just saying to a friend last night, how, what a strange time it is. And that, you know, like I was talking to um, a guy I know who works at the Seven Eleven up up the street and he's like 25. And he was saying how, how grateful he is that he's got job security and like that, you know, he's like got to be able to bear down into that mm. and, and knowing other people that have, pretty significant influence and wealth that, you know, like, but if you're in the wrong industry or depending on where you've invested, you know, are looking at losing everything they have in a week or two. So it's just, it's like everybody's feeling vulnerable right now. And yes. I think rare yes. moment where everybody has to be vulnerable. Yes. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. That's, that's really where we are. Uh, it is truly where we are. What do you think about, and I don't want to, um, obviously I wouldn't push you here to talk about more than you'd you know, feel comfortable talking about in public, because I know it's especially when you're pastoring and leading, but even thinking about the moment that we're in uh, politically and all of this kind of dovetailing as we're in sort of the getting closer to the home stretch of a, a big election in uh, here in just a few months. I mean, presumably if all that goes uh, like according to plan, what what are you kind of sensing and feeling in terms of just the, the the discourse around that and being in a moment like this when we're also uh, coming to coming to a decision in a few months, coming to a crossroads? Like, what's your what's your sort of your read of any of that? You know, my, my perspective is I've been thinking about this that the American psyche and our civic society has been hacked, and I think hacking is the correct term Mm. uh, for us. There's a, you know, I've been using the term virus, uh, but there seems to be a real, there's always been a divide in America, but there seems to be a reality divide Mm. that people are living in alternate worlds. It's one thing to live in an alternate world because you have privilege and you don't want to see certain things. 
It's another thing that in this age of technology that we now have people who will follow uh, certain uh, zeros and ones, programs, blogs, um, so-called news people, and they shape that reality. And then there's another group that that reality is shaped. And there is no way for the two groups to have conversation. And, And I struggle with that because... When I hear people raise questions of absolutism mm. uh, and certainty, you know, uh, for example, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the more progressive side. So, you know, when people say um, it's it's Bernie or nothing, mm-hmm. I have a problem with that, yeah. <laughs> um, even though I have deep critiques around moderate uh, liberalism in the Democratic Party. When I hear that, you know, Trump is the, you know, it's almost like the, you know, uh, a prophet, you know, in terms of the way some people are speaking of him, yeah. that he's just this perfect politician. I have deep um, issues around that, uh, that, there, uh, that it's strange that, that we have been hacked to the point where we cannot see the same picture. We can't even agree on colors. Yeah. That's, the sky is blue. No, it's not. That's it's right. green. I mean, yeah. they, I mean that that's what disturbs me more than anything else. Mm. What gives me hope is witnessing what people are doing on a local level. Yeah. And I'll give you a prime example. Um, a person I was in school with, uh, she was behind me. Um, she was at Spelman. I was at Morehouse. She was uh, um, at the school where my, my wife, Monica, attended. It was Stacy Abrams. And... Stacey Abrams has an organization, has been doing it quite some time, in and around voting, Mm. getting young people involved in voting activity and unmasking um, uh, policies and actions that suppress the vote. Mm. I mean, I am just really excited when I hear about uh, that kind of work, when I'm hearing about the work of of bail reform, when I'm hearing about the work of people making the statement that we need to release people who are in jail because it's a health risk. Um, You know, they have not been before a judge. They're just waiting. I mean, the level of compassion that really gives me deep hope in reference to this election. Mm. Uh, But I believe we are in for a fight because there are powers in place that are currently remaking America. Uh, Not that America was perfect, but remaking it in, let me put it this way, remaking it in an antebellum image where antebellum rhetoric and the ghosts of the Confederacy are being resurrected at a level where it now, the language is now normative. Yeah. And that scares me. Mm-hmm. That really scares me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, it it is scary. I mean, it's like I don't want to be one of those. Um, you know, I know. I feel like, especially some of my more kind of white evangelical colleagues, you sometimes you get the idea that like uh, racism started in 2016. Like, oh my, I think there's. Like, <laughs> uh, oh, you know, uh, like it's it's obviously. Uh, but I think that that's more what I've seen is like, OK, it does feel like 
four years ago, there was some language that at least was no longer normalized. That's now like in the main artery of culture that's acceptable. You get to say it in broad daylight, you know, it's like, and I really do sometimes, and I really don't mean to, 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 this is hyperbole, like some of the stuff that I hear now expressed or, you know, you'll, you'll see pretty casually on Facebook. I'm like, man, this is, this feels like the clan without hoods right here. I mean, it's just That's so right. brazen. And so, so it does feel like it's a uniquely um, a, a dangerous moment in that regard. And I'm wondering, you know, and again, trying not, I, I, well, I'll just, I'll just, maybe I'll just uh, ask this outright. And again, we, we don't have to go <laughs> any further than you'd want to, but I'm wondering, like, even when you talk about, the the youth vote and i i have i am seeing encouraging efforts in terms of people like being mobilized and getting involved and as you say i always kind of feel like the really hopeful stuff happens in real communities on the ground mm-hmm. but it is really interesting even just like demographically you've got now two white men in their mid and then late 70s running against each other uh, that is a real concern i have is like how what what kind of turnout do you have? How are are, are there are younger people going to come out? You know, on in like a, on like a national level because I don't know, just demographically, it's just it's just an interesting moment to me in that way. And and we we're going to have to educate people to move beyond personality and move to program and policy. Yeah. That you have to be in the fight if you want to see certain policies come to life. Yes. And we have, as a nation, focused on personalities. I like this person. I don't like this person. And I'm taking the perspective here. Here's the program for our community. If you're not down with this program, I I can't be down with you. If we can't even be in the room and have a conversation, we're going to be in this fight no matter what. And I feel that there are some people who can stay home and by not voting, they will not be affected the way that some disenfranchised people will be. Yes. So for those who just were released from prison, they're going to be affected in a way that, you know, for those of us who have jobs and, um, you know, are able to pay bills is very different. For those who are on SNAP, we're working two jobs to take care of things and need assistance in order to feed their children. This election is life or death for them because the changes that we are making and the rhetoric that we're using and the consciousness that is being created is literally framing poor people as the enemy. It is framing immigrants documented or undocumented as the enemy. It is framing anyone who is the other. And I'm not speaking about white. I'm speaking that what has happened in the hacking of the nation is that if you do not fall into the alternative universe, you are against America. That's right. And that is a problem. And I be, and, and this, is, this is purely conjecture. I don't know if... Other countries are involved in this, that, and the other. There may be some evidence in reference to it, but it seems that it is benefiting uh, the way that our country is going. It directly has a benefit uh, to certain nations and certain multinational corporations. Yeah. 
and I, and that is concerning and that is why we've got to get back to you know almost a bacon rebellion uh, where land where where enslaved africans and those who were indentured servants who were whether they were you know polish or irish are like well you know what the guy who owns this house over here is a problem <laughs> the, the house owner who owns this land is is pitting us against each other yeah we need to join in with indigenous people and we recognize how do we create a new country where everybody is able to flourish and i think that that scares the powers that be more than anything else. And here is the critical thing. When the peop when people of faith connect with the gospel and have a Pentecostal spirit yes. around the gospel, Come I on. think this is the revolution that will change America. Because every time when the spirit and a prophetic word connect, you see drastic changes in our country. And I use the civil rights movement as an example of that was a true revival. Yes. It was a revival of the spirit that says we have a public witness. Mm -hmm. The spirit of God has told us to do this. And it ends up possessing people to the point that agnostic students at Wooster and Boston University had to travel to Mississippi and be converted by a Fannie Lou Hamer. To me, that's that's Pentecostalism at its best. And if we can get that kind of movement going now. Yes. We will see the world turned upside down. Yes, yes. I, I, I so believe it. And I think it's I think it's so needed that we are able to have a language where we're able to frame what's happening in those terms. Because, you know, I think that's part of what I feel like we've seen in these last few years. Like it's not um, there are policies that need to be changed, to be sure. But there's such a there's such a spirit. There's such a principality. It feels like. Um, racism in particular has not been a peripheral feature of much of what's happened under this administration, but it is, it is the central galvanizing energy. It's almost like the only thing that's there. I mean, I really believe that. And if that's true, then it does. I, I don't know. I just kind of, it's like, uh, think about that, uh, that line of Jesus about th this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. This spirit only goes out by prayer and fasting. And it, I believe it is a pillar of the platform of this administration that you have to drink from certain wells and they are antebellum in construction. Wow. That's heavy. And so true. It has to be. Yeah. It's like the, just all the sort of, I mean, the, the rhetoric of the Steve Bannons and the Stephen Millers and all that. It's so kind of in the water now. It's yeah. just, it's just, um, it's just everywhere. So I just, I, but I love that idea of like, the, of what we need being a, a, a revival. And one of the things I love um, so much about Trinity and I feel like how you're able to speak to some of these things is that I feel like you're able to speak prophetically in a way that is both grounded in the moment, but also does transcend. There's never a sense of like, I don't know, of, of like being co-opted by a party or by a party agenda, but no, it's like this idea, but no, th these are, these are our issues. These, that, uh, th this is what affects our community. And if you're, yeah, if you're not with us here, then, you know, I just, I just feel like you have, you're able to always articulate those things with such a clarity and precision. That's so helpful for me. But I think it's, it's, it's protective because when you have a program um, and you have pillars of, of belief, uh, you don't have to be afraid of being in dialogue with people who you may disagree with yeah. 
whether they're political, um, uh, whether they're an artist, whatever it may be, uh, but say, but this is what we believe in. Where can we find some some common ground? And, you know, for our community, you know, the economic, uh, you know, uh, quality, um, removing economic inequality um, and the economic disparity, uh, dealing with the issue around environment, uh, mass incarceration and uh, the idea of of, of education um, and health should be is how do you create a whole community? And we have a whole thing that like here are these, you know, five basic pillars. If you want a whole community that we've got to deal with these things. And mm-hmm. uh, if we want a better Chicago, here are the things that have to be invested in. Here's the work that must be done. Here's the type of of political framework we have to have. But here's the spiritual framework that we start from there. We start from a spiritual center uh, that all we're doing is we're being very red letterish in in our focus <laughs> in terms of, you know, what did Jesus say? And we're just following that. Yeah. yeah it's like, you know, if, if, if like uh, the Flannery O'Connor short story, if, if we're going to be hit upset upside the head by a book right now, that's right. Uh, is grace. We, boy, we sure need the red letters. It sure feels like we need we to be hit the gospels right now. That's and, right. And with these, and Grace hits, what is it, Ruby Turpin? Is, is that supposed yeah. to be Turpentine? I'm thinking it's like, was that Flannery trying to, you know, make a little joke around that? Um, you know, it, it's, it, I don't know. This, it's, that's a great uh, connector, uh, connector uh, to talk about uh, Revelation in that way from uh, Flannery O'Connor. Mm. A time of revelation, to be sure. Well, um, I'm so grateful that in the midst of everything else going on, knowing this has been such a full week and uh, especially in Holy Week, that you would take the time just to chat. And, you know, this is exactly what I wanted to do. It's just very much like a no agenda. Just talk about the stuff that we talk about and let people just sort of overhear that for a little while. I think it's so much fun. Well, man, it's absolute joy. And I'd love to pray with you. And for those who are listening, um, I've, I've, I've been really moved by this poet and author, John O'Donohue. Yeah. And so I read O'Donohue and then I end up writing some kind of own prayers in and around kind of informed by, by Donahue. And, um, I, I read this prayer to our congregation on our prayer call, uh, the other day. And then there's another prayer that, uh, I wrote literally for my son when he graduated that was inspired by Donahue. And I'd love to read both of those, a portion of those for, for everybody listening that I think it's a, uh, in, in this kind of time of revealing and revelation, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Oh, that'd be wonderful. What a gift, please. Okay. Um, well, th- the first one is, is, is a, it comes from John O'Donohue's to bless the space between us. Mm-hmm. And it's, one is the morning offering and the other is to Come home to yourself. Now it's been remixed. The second half of it has been remixed OM3 style because I rewrote um, to come home to yourself for my son when he when he graduated. That I was praying over him, um, but it just I offer this you know in this time uh, for this morning because this is a new morning, but it's still dark and we haven't yet reached midnight. Um, but when we get to twelve, when we get to twelve o'clock, we do know it's the next day, even though it's still dark for us. So O'Donoghue says this: All that is internal in me welcomes the wonder 
of this day. The field of brightness it creates offering time for each thing to arise and illuminate. I place on the altar of dawn the quiet loyalty of breath, the tent of thought where I shelter. Waves of desire I am sure uh, to and all beauty drawn to the eye. May my mind come alive today to the invisible geography that invites me to new frontiers, to break the dead shell of yesterdays, to risk being disturbed and changed. May I have the courage today to live the life that I would love, to postpone my dream no longer, but to do at last what I came here for and waste my heart on fear no more. May all that is unforgiven in you be released. May your fears yield their deepest tranquilities. May all that is unlived in you blossom into a future graced with love. May the angels of awakening offer you the meal of insight. May the angels of growth give you Hard but beautiful lessons you shall never forget. May the angel of love chase away all fears that hold you back. May you one day hug and hold the one you love, who you call son or daughter, in your heart the way that I hold you this day. May you be blessed, blessed by walking the difficult road blessed by walking uneven ground. And when you reach the plateau, may you have the courage to look back from where you have come, but don't stare too long because there are still places that you must go. May God bless you and may God keep you. May God hold you and may God lift you. And may you be imaginative enough to get into some holy mischief to change the world for the better. Wow. Amen. What a powerful blessing. Thank you so much for that. Well, that, well this is such, this is such a sacred gift. Oh, man, it's my, my delight. Jonathan, you do an incredible job. The work that you're doing, uh, not only in your podcast and in your ministry, I just want you to know that there are so many people who are inspired by your work and your team who's, that sits with you at the table. And I'm just delighted and I am grateful to God that we had the opportunity uh, to develop uh, and continue to develop and build uh, this relationship. I'm so grateful. And even, you know, asking you the question today about what's bringing you joy right now, uh, th th there's no question that this conversation has brought so much joy to me and you even talking about the folks at the table like like everybody on our team loves you and loves trinity and we're just all so grateful for your prophetic leadership your clarity your voice your pastoral sensitivity just all, all the things that you are and who you are it's so important especially in this kind of weighted moment that we're in so i hope you know that and i i know you hear from folks around the world but just what you know beyond the beautiful work you're doing in chicago just how many of us and how many uh, how many other guys in ministry, the men and women, are just like we're just 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 drink just drinking this up. So thank you for your your words. Thank you for the sermons. Thank you for your friendship. It's just done my heart so much good to get to to spend some time with you 
chatting on this on this Good Friday. What a way to really launch into the, the holy weekend here. So I'm so thankful, friend. Man, it's it's my blessing. And thank you so much. And stay safe and stay healthy, my friend. Absolutely. Same to you. And thank you guys for joining us for another edition of the Zeitcast. Thank you.